and welcome to the energy talk a podcast where we share stories about energy my name is olubumi olajide and thank you so much for joining us again this week in this conversation we're going to focus on the country of india and we're going to be talking a lot about its renewable energy industry and the electric cars emerging market in india so india is a very unique country it accounts for 1.4 billion people that's the second largest population in the world and it also produces 6.5 percent of the global co2 emissions now according to the sustainable energy for all database india has gone from about 70 percent to almost 99 percent electricity access rates in the last 10 years and this massive leap has led to some consequences including worsening air quality and a larger overall carbon footprint so we're going to be talking a lot about what it takes for a country to, t- to go from uh, a developing country to an emerging economy and really establish itself and how the citizens continue to adapt to all these things that come with, uh, let's call it the growing pains. So with all that being said, let's jump right into the conversation with Grish. So I'm Girish Shivakumar. I'm based out of Bangalore in India. I call myself a clean tech evangelist and a professional. For about nine years, I've been in this space. Right after my bachelor's, I joined a solar power developer. And right from there until now, I've been in the clean tech space. Worked on solar power projects, energy storage, electric vehicles, and uh, covered a lot of things, mostly in India, but also did some work in UK for a bit. And uh, yeah, right now, mostly focused on energy storage and uh, electric vehicles at this point. Okay. So, uh, earlier in your career, you were awarded the Shevdin Scholarship and you moved on to do your master's at Cambridge University. So, how much of an impact did that have early on in your career and right now as you keep going forward with the work you're doing? Uh, thanks for bringing that up, Olu. Uh, it was definitely a turning point in my career. Achieving uh, scholarships are given to like early career professionals. They kind of require a two-year work experience. So when I got Chimning, I had like about four years of work experience. So the way, looking back, the way I would put it is the entire process of applying to Chimning is itself a great experience. So for me, it was a lot more hard because I had to get into Cambridge and then get a Chimning scholarship. So the acceptance rate of both are really, really low. So (laughs) only like about five out of 100 or something get, get an opportunity. So... When I look back, I think the entire process of preparing for it, uh, I think made me a better person. I had to really prepare for it and align with what I want to do. So I had to define what I want to do because when you when you are up against the best around the world, so you really have to have something solid that you talk to people and then even they are convinced that, okay, this person is worth the scholarship so that once he returns back to the sector, he'll probably add value. So it's a phenomenal experience so I had a great experience talking to various people right from professors in the university up to the deputy high commissioner in India who interviewed me for the final round it was a wonderful experience and once you get that scholarship you are then everything is set for you it's a fully funded scholarship they take you to UK they provide you with entire allowance they pay the tuition fees and everything is taken care and it's like you don't have to worry about anything on top of that, you have like other scholars coming from around the world. So you get to network with them. You do establish your connection, basically. For me, from my point of view, I think establishing that network and connection really adds value. 
the Gotch evening program has been here for over 30 years now and it has like phenomenal amount of successful people the list of alumni are like phenomenal so being part of that cohort really helps you because as you progress in your career you need to build your network for yourself you need to try to leverage the network i think at this point i am trying to do the later part of it i want to leverage my network and see how i can add value to the space okay so uh 3 years down the line i think it's fair to say that you've more than added value to the sector you're in uh last year you were awarded the economic times young leader of the year so how was that experience for you oh thanks olu uh, thanks for bringing that again up and it it was another experience so i didn't try to put myself against the other people who also want to add value to the society in whatever sector they are doing whatever work they are doing so i just try to see like where am i in the space and uh, so economic times young leaders is another program it's a intense comp- uh, intense program uh, run by the economic times media publication in india every year about like 25 26000 people apply to the program and over a four round of selections of list of people are then selected as economic times young leader for that year and um, here again just like chivning scholarships was the first uh, leadership assessment that i had to take up because chivning itself calls it positions itself as providing scholarships for leaders of future emerging leaders so i mean all the people who have won the chivning scholarships have gone on to a big positions in government private sector so that was a good start i had uh, in assessing my capabilities and uh, this again again it's a different leadership assessment more from the work perspective on how and what kind of manager you are how you handle task what do you plan to do in the long run and this kind of assessments it involve like various case studies business case studies group discussions and all those sorts of things and finally again in this one the added advantage is like you get to interview with the top ceos of different sectors from in india so the jury has like about 10 top ceos so i interviewed with like the head of accenture in india so it was a great experience again they test you like on really the long term vision that you have what do you plan to do and what value you add to the table so again another assessment and another thing that preparing for all these assessments makes you a better person that's what i can say looking back so from here on it's just you just carry on with the work and uh, yeah it's a good experience and i hope to add carry on with it <laughs> Okay. So, moving on from that, uh you started the Mission Shunya podcast recently. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, Mission Shunya. So, Shunya is a Sanskrit word that says zero. So, when I started off in in my career in solar sector, I joined the German developer UV. UV had this vision like we want to be 100% renewable energy. They are doing a great job with that. But then I thought it's getting to 100% is really tough and there are a lot many challenges with it and renewable energy is just one part of sustainability so when i did my masters i thought there are other aspects to it like energy is one then there is mobility clean mobility then there is circular economy and everything so i thought the ultimate objective kind of is to transition to a zero carbon economy zero carbon world where you re- try to reduce emissions so that it add value from all around beat energy electric vehicles how you handle the circular economy other aspects of sustainability so that's what i thought is going to be the big thing it integrates energy electric mobility circular economy and other sustainability practices so uh, i thought 
So yeah, why not talk about it? I worked in the space. I continue to work in the space, and I meet a lot of interesting people from around the world. Interesting work. So I thought let let me provide a platform where people can come on board, share their experience, share wh- what they are doing. Maybe if listening to the podcast, following the feed on social media, if someone's able to take some action and convince other people, just say three people a month to take action, then I mean the transition to a zero carbon economy can happen in a better way. So yeah, that's <laughs> how I got started. Okay, so uh, reflecting on the community that you're actively involved in, uh, the country of India and uh, smaller communities that make up India, um, there's been a lot of progress in the last ten years. Um, so in terms of um, electrification rates, um, access to energy, it's gone from about seventy percent to about ninety five percent since two thousand nine. But uh, this development doesn't really reflect what's going on in India. So could you just talk about um, how it's been going in the energy sector and where India is right now in terms of their development in this cycle? Yeah, that's a valid point that you bring up and you really get the stats nearly right. So yes, a decade ago, electricity was around that number. A lot of villages in the remote part of country, India is a big country and remote corners are in difficult terrains where you couldn't probably lay transmission lines to get electricity there and people in habitation in those kind of pockets were really low so there was not much done to those sectors but over the last few years especially in the later part of the last decade electrification rapidly scaled up one is providing because on the previous government got a new the current government in the previous term got a program called saubhagya they said like we are going to get all villages electrified so all the pockets that are not accessible by regular grid connection they started providing mini grids solar battery systems and things like that so this really brought the electrification rate close to 99% so the minimum the small percentage that is missing is in the remote pockets where people staying in small hamlets kind of are not connected but yeah i think 100% household level electrification is very soon on the cards so this is one part of the en- electricity sin- en- energy scenario during the same period like when i started in 2011 solar prices were pretty high that was the same globally as well but then the cost of solar panels started coming down and india kind of took advantage of that so we had large scale tenders come up where large international developers came to india and started bidding for those projects so what it really did was it brought down the cost of power generation low so today the cost of power generation from a solar or a wind power plant is lower than what the cost of generation is from a thermal power plant so the large scale ramp up of renewable energy has really brought down the cost of solar and this is something that i would like to mention is because the large scale auctions like that was seen in india in the last few years it is unparalleled i think india was one of the first major economies to bring in this large scale of auction because getting the volumes meant price reduction was possible and uh, setting up infrastructure was also possible although there are small hurdles in getting integration to the grid etc but the prices have really come down so and energy capacity addition has also increased significantly in the last decade hmm. wow so i think maybe it kind of adds to the challenge that india has the second largest population in the world at about 1.3 billion people and when you have these people all scattered up in different parts of the region i can imagine that that 
that makes the task very difficult and that needs to have different solutions for different regions. And even though there's been a really huge surge in terms of renewables, there's also been a surge in the usage of coal and coal-fired power plants. So could you just talk about what that has led up to now in terms of uh, the environmental impacts that that has had? Uh, a small correction because when when news from Indian power sector reaches the global audience, I think uh, this figure tends to get a little uh, quoted or misinterpreted, if I could put it that way, because coal power plants, building coal power plants takes a lot of time. Uh, the, the period of construction to commissioning is a long process, right from securing fuel supply to commissioning is a long process. Most of the power plants take more than five years on an average. So all the power plants that have been commissioned in the last few years was something that was sanctioned over 10 years back. Because of the shortage of coal supply, these plants just couldn't get operational. So in this government, the kind of government has kind of changed the coal linkage policy and allotted coal to all these power plants. So that's why these power plants are coming online. But at the same time, if you look at the finer numbers, the operational efficiencies of these power plants are really low. So they kind of operate at a low plant load factor, meaning that they run for only a fewer number of hours compared to the last few years. So this one, again, one could argue that why do you have to run at an up suboptimal level, which actually increases emissions. True, this is happening. But at the same time, I think as we scale up more uh, firm power and say more energy storage that comes onto the grid, I'm sure we will be able to balance the energy better and we would probably ramp down all the coal generation. So at this point, yes, there is a mix of coal and renewables ramping up, but the operational fa- operation of coal power plants are really low. I think one needs to look at the finer numbers from these power plants. Those are kind of not reported in the media. So the power plants that I talk of are going less than 50% plant load factor because they are turned down at some periods where solar generation and wind generation is high. So that is a real scenario, if I could put it that way. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. So in terms of adoption of uh, renewable energy in India, how do you think businesses businesses are adapting to uh, the new mode of operation, if you will, as cleaner sources of energy become more available and prices go down? How has the general adoption been in the Indian community? If you bring bring about the point of uh, businesses, I mean, from my experience, uh, I can tell you a lot of stories of how businesses are pretty smart in adopting to renewable energy. Let me give you an example. So while working for a a solar power developer and while I was talking to clients in the, there is Indian state of Tamil Nadu, this belt is very good for the wind generation, Tamil Nadu state, uh, that's on the southern part of India. It's very good. It's towards the coast and that belt is very good for wind generation so what happened was due to some government policy which provided incentives for investment in wind assets most of the businesses most of the textile and other manufacturing businesses actually went on and invested in these windmills so they got financial benefit in terms of tax benefits and also got power that they could use for their industry so this gave them like lower operating cost and also tax benefit which kind of help them scale up the business. So there are many success stories. I mean, if most of the windmills that have been installed in the state of Tamil Nadu are owned by businesses, the manufacturing business, the textile industry business. So these people kind of felt there is an added incentive by going green. One is the lower power cost and also 
the tax benefits that was available so there are multiple stories like this so businesses are very sharp they know their math very well so when you talk to them they will tell you each and every part of the electricity component what is the fixed charge what is the energy charge and what what am i paying in terms of taxes for electricity what is the impact if i have more demand than the sanction capacity so they are very aware of that and that makes business that makes interacting with these people more easy because if you had have a value proposition that you take it to them they are kind of they listen to it and they make sharp decisions so i didn't find any problem interacting with this businesses but of course small scale businesses in small pockets the who have no experience of this it is a different learning experience educating experience telling them about the benefits of putting a solar plant on their roof or minimizing the diesel generator use by having a battery storage or solar plus diesel combination so that's a different part but most businesses are in today's in to, in today times are like very well aware of what's happening and uh, they are very well aware so there's no problem with that okay so uh uh One particular sector that I would like to highlight is uh the transportation sector in India. Since there's so many people and that results in a lot of cars and a lot of uh, need for transportation measures, uh it's it's fair to say that there's a good opportunity in the country for uh electric vehicles. So has that been something that has been explored and do you see as something that could be a major factor in the next few years? so india india in most part of the western world uh, sometimes called as the jugad nation jugad or as uh, professor jaydeep prabhu from the cambridge university puts it frugal innovation so we look at having some mechanisms where we try to make it better like for example all the last mile mobility in most metros in india like for example the capital region of delhi the mobility is electric there are small electric rickshaws that ply that connect the metro stations to nearby localities so this has not grown organically they have just cropped up from different parts of different pockets of delhi that are close to the metro stations and there are a lot of uh, electric rickshaws i mean it's become so much that even the government is not able to regulate it at this point <laughs> but of course they are trying to regulate it by having giving them incentives in terms of charging etc but this is something that's cropped up inorganically so there was no policy for that but just a few rickshaws came on road and people started seeing the benefits of it so this kind of mobility has definitely picked up but of course the cost of batteries and other components are little high compared to the conventional ic engine uh, internal combustion engine vehicles so large scale adoption in terms of four wheelers is not happened but four wheelers for like fleet operations where taxi companies or cars that ply for corporates they have kind of adopted electric vehicles because they see an added benefit because they ply close to 100 200 kilometers a day and uh, they know by having just one charge in between when they take a break they can they will be able to cover the distance in the electric vehicle so that's another sector that's picked up and in recent government policies government is giving a incentive package for these kind of applications that go for fleet applications and commercial use where your subsidy the subsidy for the battery is capped based on the capacity of battery that is there in the car which has enabled a lot of fleet operators to buy electric vehicles and operate so that way 
their emissions are reduced and it's also adding value because the total cost of ownership for an electric vehicle depends on the number of kilometers you run in a period fleet operators like taxis and others run run more kilometers so it makes perfect economic sense and those are the sectors that's really picking up and public buses electric buses is again something that the cost of ownership would probably add value over a 10 15 year period but the cost of bus is pretty high so again government has a set of schemes where they're saying like highly congested cities will probably given added incentives to procure electric buses and operate because most of the transport operations are government run so there are incentive packages that have been given so it'll take time to reflect in public mobility at this point but last mile mobility is kind of sorted out people are aware like the three wheelers electric three wheelers the tuk tuks are there they are operating and they are they are performing well if i can say that way Hmm. So, so something interesting that you mentioned was that uh this this kind of adoption of uh electric vehicle mobility isn't really a direct impact of what the government has done just people realizing that there are certain benefits to this. So um do you see that as the major driving force to people making decisions or how aware are the people of India about uh climate concerns for instance rather than just uh making business making decisions based on what's good for business and what's good for economics so which is the major driving force in in these decisions for regular people not just the government coming up with policies just for regular day to day people trying to operate and run their businesses This is an interesting question uh, because this is a question that I also ponder from time to time so where which is the direction that uh, the country will go and what kind of adoption will be there but when I talk to people this is what I realize so as a country when india is moving is on a developing trajectory and when more people are getting better paying jobs so there is always an aspirational part of it where people who who whose per capita whose income levels are going up they would like to live a certain lifestyle so this lifestyle in a typical household probably involves buying a car and uh, car for them is a luxury and uh, they would like to buy a car and which is affordable to them at this point even though if they are even though they are aware that an electric car the operating cost is pretty low cost wise it's still on a higher side and uh, they would they wouldn't want to shell out that extra money to buy an electric car at this point that is on a average level but again the other set of people who are well aware and who can afford that extra buck are buying electric cars and um, in recent in recent years you in recent months sorry you can see a lot of international players also launching vehicles so that kind of thing people who are aware about sustainability cleaner mobility are definitely adopting this and the other other part um sorry um the other part that is coming up is again like i said the fleet operation is turning electric people are aware that they can book a taxi that is electric because electric taxis are also playing so that is something people are cautiously taking making decisions on but again for an aspirational country it's it's a it's a tough call but uh, i'm sure as time progresses as the cost of electric mobility comes down it'll happen and in certain pockets like in delhi for example there is a rule that bans vehicles of one category one number plate plying on alternate days so because delhi again 
kind of hits a peak pollution uh, levels during a certain period of the year and during that time people generally are aware they understand that it's because of the transportation that they are having this issue transportation is one cause of it so they cautiously take call by not driving vehicles during that point in time so yes it's happening and it'll just take time hmm. do you think that this is something that it just has to do with the development state that india is in i think it's fair to say india is rapidly moving away from the category of what a traditional developing country is to a more established uh, country and economy because um it's dealing with problems that many cities around the world have also dealt with uh, air pollution and just setting up policies that just protect the environment as more people start to move get to a certain uh income threshold they start to care more about many other things that are happening in their general environments i can give an example of nigeria for instance now uh because the income level for most for most households are very low people just do not care about uh, what the environment looks like because everybody's just so busy about just feeding their families for the next day. And that really shapes the way they think. But as India moves towards uh, a more established economy, do you think that this is something that's going to be a lot more focused on in the next few years? It, it is it is definitely going to be a focus point in the next few years because india has made a firm commitment on the paris climate agreement and uh, we definitely have aggressive targets both in terms of renewable energy capacity cutting down emissions also having a certain percentage of mobility being transformed to non or zero emission vehicles so there is definitely a commitment but again india is definitely the per capita income is definitely increasing but at the same time population is another factor and uh, so it will balance out and uh, there'll definitely be a certain set, section of people who will still continue to who will be unable to afford like say an electric vehicle or installing solar on their roofs so yeah population and development kind of balance it out and um, that i think that's going to be a little challenge but i think op- there are opportunities and i'm sure it'll happen as uh, time progresses So I have another interesting question, and I apologize because this might not be a very fair question, but you mentioned about moving towards uh, a low-carbon economy, and there is is this argument that I've heard a lot. I've I've actually heard both sides of this argument about uh, the more a country tries to decarbonize and tries to worry more about uh, what it's... It's, uh, it's, it's carbon footprint is and worrying about the environment it kind of slows down economic development of that country and of that community. Do you see that as something that will play a role? And is this something, is this, is this conversation something that's been had right now in India? That's an interesting question, as you say. It's definitely an argument. It's, it has always been an argument. And, uh, but, I mean, again, the, we shouldn't go beyond uh, businesses, for example, you ask any businesses on why they adopt certain sustainability practices of putting say a solar plant on their roof or uh, conserving water or minimizing the air conditioning usage they will definitely tell you that increases the operational efficiencies so people are aware that saying for example if i could quote professor jd prabhu again doing better with less actually helps them run their businesses more efficiently and uh, better so people are aware of that like for example another key example is again waste segregation is a costly affair uh, if people would say that because you tell people what to do you segregate bins and uh, 
you ask them to collect it during certain days that's a costly affair for a government to run but uh, in terms of the entire end to end value chain just just because the waste is properly segregated they can recycle waste better so dry waste can be recycled in a better way and then the wet waste can actually be processed and uh, there are small, small waste to energy plants coming up in city centers in and around like major metros in bangalore where the waste is processed and you get gas out of it which again is supplied to local facilities like restaurants who use that gas and uh, so there is this ideology and understanding that's coming up in local governments where they're saying like doing good is also adding value to the entire value chain and uh, operational wise it's better and that as as time progresses the cost benefit people will do the cost benefit analysis and kind of prove that yeah having us living a sustainable lifestyle actually makes it better for the long run but in the short run yes change is always difficult right so people will tend to resist to that and always kind of say that change is costly and uh, that's going to cost more maybe there is mer- some merit to it but I wouldn't totally agree to that. Mm. Okay. So that's that's a fair way to approach this argument. It's a very uh actionable point of view but also very manages to be very pragmatic as well. So I I actually commend you on that stance. Uh so what would you say is the biggest challenge for the country of India right now as it moves towards uh low emissions low carbon economy and trying to gear itself more towards renewables than higher em- emission uh sources of running business so what do you think are the major pain points and things that need to be overcome in the next 10 20 years for India to really be established as a as a low carbon economy country the biggest challenges from the infrastructure point of view like for example be it electric mobility or power generation infrastructure has to keep up pace because the next phase of development of solar or wind projects are going to happen in pockets that are little further from the grid so you need to nail lay new transmission lines set up new substations and uh, bring those power to the grid connected to the grid and supply it to other parts and uh, as you get more more and more renewable generation then you're also adding more uncertainty to the, to the grid that means you can't supply firm power unless you have other sources to balance it out today ramping up and down of thermal power plants or hydro power plants are very minimum unless government and other developers invest in something like energy storage that can do ramp up and ramp down to meet the demand and supply at a subsequent level then those those are the kind of bottlenecks that will we will see when integrating more renewable energy into the grid likewise for like mobility again as more and more mo- vehicles come there will be an added demand to the electricity but of course the other thing is people will always want to take the highway hit the highway and they would want to see more charging infrastructures there which again is going to be a i wouldn't say a real bottleneck because i'm sure businesses will find ways to put charging infrastructure and uh, those will come up but it's just going to be a time factor again uh, the other part of zero econ- a uh, zero carbon is something that i say the circular economy i bring this up again and again because uh again waste management and uh, stuff like this where you upcycle stuff and all this are really crucial these are the things that are really missed out but as city progresses these are the things that the government also needs to identify and uh, encourage businesses who are running these kind of operations 
like again i i can say like in like in my podcast series i've had like a few entrepreneurs who have come and spoken about how they have converted waste to energy waste to better quality materials by upcycling and stuff like that so these are also part of the sustainability aspect and the transition to a zero carbon economy so which again doesn't get the uh, attention as like uh, electric vehicle or renewable energy but these are also something that needs to be addressed and uh, i'm sure this will happen inorganically but it'll take time one more thing that i would like to ask you because i think it would be pretty unfair to, to let you go from the interview without asking you this so after the shevnin scholarship and uh being named young leader uh, by the economic times um let's take it back uh a few years maybe five, six, seven years ago and if you meet someone who was in your shoes just getting out of school getting their first job and looking to make an impact in the energy industry or just in the world as general as we face new challenges and we deal with a rapid transition so what advice would you give someone who wants to get into the industry the energy industry and just find the space where they can be impactful and really start working towards solutions Well, that's a interesting question and uh, since you have put me down the line and I would like to take this moment to say like again all this thing that have happened is because I've been really grateful I've been at the right place at the right time I kind of made like little decisions looking back which were right but I'm really grateful for like friends family and other people who have supported me in this process so I definitely thrive on that network of friend family and other industry colleagues to go to the next level so i'm really grateful for that i would like to thank people who have been part of my journey so far and this question is perfectly leads me to i can still imagine the day when uh, i can still think of the day when i went to this company ue uh, i was just passing out of bachelor's i had like couple of other offers i go to this uh, room where the head of the company mr rajesh but uh, is giving an introduction about the company and what they do and stuff like that the one thing that he told me was like bangalore being the hub for information technology in india he just told me this like renewable energy in 2011 was somewhere like 20 years where it was like information technology in the 1990s is equal to renewable energy in 2011 so he just said like 20 years later renewable energy will be in a place where it was to two decades back so that thought of like okay i'm going to enter a sector that's going to be the future but it will take time i need to work towards it so that was a thought that got into my mind at that point and i think i have never looked back from that so people have to be fortunate to meet people like that and get into opportunities like that but i'm sure if you get if you just put your work towards it i'm sure you will meet the right people and you can take it forward from there mm. okay so thank you so much so uh is 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 there anything else that you want to share regarding uh where india is or it's going or just a commentary about the world lots of interesting things have been happening in uh, the climate change discussion and renewable energy so is there anything that has picked your interest in the past few weeks or months about uh the global conversation there are a lot of things happening and again india is not an isolated case the other thing that uh uh thinking of global events i think the extreme weather events is something that comes to mind every now and then recently after uh, the brazil forest fires we saw australia's bushfires and all these events kind of reinforce something that climate change and uh, is something that's not a local issue so everything is a connected issue so 
no matter where you are you just learn from everyone else collaborate with international companies international partners and work towards it it's not an isolated issue that like for example india working isolated or people in africa doing it in an isolated way because i'm sure like africa is going to see the highest development rate in the next decade so if they are not sustainable if that is not in a sustainable fashion then i'm sure the repercussions are going to be throughout the world so it's a global phenomenon that we are trying to address and i'm sure like medium like yours medium like mine will probably get more people involved and probably spread message to a larger audience and i hope we continue to do that no matter what i think we should collaborate on all such platforms and take the message to the people and uh, make them aware of the facts Thank you so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed and you got inspired by not just the conversation topic but also from the personal story from Girish. It's very important for us to take away the personal aspect of it and just remember that it's people telling these stories. So you can join in the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Join us on Twitter or on Instagram at the Energy Talk everywhere or send us an email if you have suggestions or you want to correct something or just make a suggestion. and I just have a chat you're always welcome so leave a review if you haven't already subscribed so you can get us again next week we would love to have you on with us as our running community because this is what it's all about so thank you so much for joining us for another energy talk this was produced by your street thank you so much for Jensen for the music and we'll see you all again next week